This episode was brought to you by Dame, the world's first reusable tampon applicator. Thank you very much, Dame. Hi, Anna. Hey, Tiff. How are you? I'm brilliant and even better for what we have in store today on the show. Yes, we have Celia Poole, who is the co-founder of Dame, joining us today to talk about compassionate business. And Dame is a really exciting company. They are on a mission to make our periods plastic free. And they have the world's first reusable tampon applicator, as well as organic tampon by subscription. But in this conversation, what we really delve into is the type of business that Celia and her team has created. And we really get into what it means to have a kinder business and We've got plenty of tips in there for other business leaders who might be interested to be more compassionate. And of course, that's particularly relevant for what's going on in the world right now. So really great, um, very honest chat as well, I thought. And yeah, let's um, let's hear from Celia. Yeah, on with the show. Hi Tiff. And hello Celia, very special guest joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, Celia is from Dame. Um, Celia, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about you and your business to start things off with? Yes, sure. Um, I am Celia and I uh, co-founded Dame. Um, And Dame has created the world's first reusable tampon applicator. And this is all around stopping the use of millions of single-use tampon applicators that are thrown away every year. Um, And we did this basically for three reasons. First of all, the plastic. It was just too big a thing for us to ignore. And, you know, this is a very forgotten about taboo industry. You know, people talk about plastic bags, they talk about coffee cups, but no one was actually looking at this product, which, you know, half the global population uses every month. And the stats around it are pretty hideous. You know, there are 100 billion period products are thrown away every year. In the UK, it's 1.3 million of these plastic applicators are thrown away. And these are things which touch your body for about two seconds and you just get rid of Um, And, you know, there are reusable options out there like cups, but not very many people use them. And the big reason for this is because it's just such a big habit change for women to switch from using a tampon, which they've used all their life to a cup. So we decided that we wanted to make that habit change really easy. And, you know, where on average a woman uses 12,000 of these plastic applicators in their lifetime, with ours, you use it just once. And that's because we've made this self-sanitizing technology, which means that it only just needs a rinse under cold water in between uses. So that was the first reason. The second reason was the actual tampons themselves, because not very many people think about what's in a tampon, rightly so, because actually we're not disclosed in the EU 
what is in a tampon. So we have no idea. Most people think it's cotton. On average, it's made up of many, many synthetic items, which you have no concept of. There are pesticides in there, there are fragrances, there are toxins. And for us, something that sits in your body for on average seven and a half years of your life, we just didn't want that to be something that was unhealthy for a woman's body. So we decided that we wanted to make ours from organic cotton. And then the third thing was the conversation around periods. Words like discreet and fresh that kind of messaging for young girls going through puberty is just huge. And, you know, there are studies that have shown that girls on average lose huge amounts of confidence going through puberty. And we didn't want this to be one of the reasons why that was happening. So we wanted to give it a fresh look and a fresh branding and a fresh voice. So that's basically the kind of three main things that we're tackling and those are just the beginning and we've got plans to really go on and really look at the entire menstrual space. Could I ask you about how you um, came to launch your business? Have you always been an entrepreneur? Tell us your story, your work story. (laughs) Um, No, I didn't spend my childhood years dreaming of being a tampon seller. It wasn't what I stood up in class and said that I wanted to do. No, um, it was really weird. I, and I, again, I was never an entrepreneur. I was, I'm literally not your classic entrepreneur. I worry, I sweat the small stuff. I'm not that person who's always positive, blue skies thinking. That's actually my co-founder. But I basically had spent my 20s sort of sitting in fear, not really pushing myself out of my comfort zone because I didn't want to fail. And then I had my first child and it was such an almighty smack in the face having a baby that it really forced me to reassess what I wanted to do with my life. And I knew I wanted to do something female centric. And so when I, over one quite drunken conversation with now my co-founder, then my friend, started talking about tampons bizarrely because I had literally just spent that day after doing a massive shot for the family then realizing I forgot my tampons and running out in the rain with a screaming baby, which isn't fun at the best of times, just to go and buy some tampons. We decided that we wanted to make it more accessible and convenient. So start a subscription service. But at that stage, the idea of making our own product hadn't really come up. It was only after selling other people's products and really looking under the bonnet and seeing what's in these products and how the average woman is not really understanding what's in these products that was the the jolt that forced us to to essentially pivot the company and come up with this new idea what i find really interesting and i'd love to hear more about from you is that not only is the product really different and as kind of tackling a problem that really needs addressing and is super innovative but also you as a company um Uh, the way you're structured and the way that you're putting sustainability at the heart of what you do. Um, I know that Dame is a B Corp. Would you be able to explain to us what that actually means? Because I don't think that, um, I don't think that everyone necessarily might know what B Corp is. Yeah, totally. Um, B Corp is this amazing certification that came in originally in the States and now into the UK and, and actually across the world. And it's, it's all around business as a force for good. And it's saying that profit and purpose don't need to be mutually exclusive. And rather than previous where companies have been doing quite a lot of greenwashing, doing corporate social responsibility, where they just sort of 
pumping out petrochemicals and then you know planting a few trees this actually goes goes into your business and really assesses every single aspect of from the way that you treat your workers to what you're producing all the way through to the light bulbs that you use in your office and you know for us to get assessed it took us a year and a half until we got certified so it's really hardcore and what's amazing about it is it really forces you to stand up and think about your business and what you want to do and for us you know the 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 things which we were sort of picked out on were the fact that we were rethinking resources so uh obviously our applicator is tackling the plastic waste but also our packaging so our packaging you know all of it is used from either 100% recycled content or it's reused content. So we either used offcuts from, from stuff which would otherwise go to waste or the boxes that we use to send out our products. Those are boxes which have been used for other products. So, well, cause us, you know, we don't believe that the world does not need another Amazon box out there. You can take old and make it beautiful. The other thing which, we got picked up for B Corp was our support in women's health and well-being. So we have, our team is basically pretty much all girls plus bar one guy. Um, but not just that, when we were designing this product, we wanted to make sure that women were included at every step of the process. And where we found that like on average, only 11% of medical engineers are women. We actively went in and helped them recruit more women into the team. Um, and the other side of it is that we realize that we understand that not every single woman can afford tampons. So whereas our product you do have to pay for, we make sure that we donate to charities who are supporting homeless women and refugee women in the UK so that they can have access to free uh, period products because that side of things is really important as well. So this is what B Corp does. It makes you go in and really look at the different parts of your business and really think think about what you're putting out there. Um, it's so fascinating because when I hear you talk, when I hear you describe um, how your business is structured and also the product and sort of the thing that just really strikes me is this idea of kindness. And it just feels like that your whole business is structured around, um, it's, it's kind of like a kind model, um, both in sort of the environmental sense, but um, I'm also imagining kind of probably in a cultural sense as well. Uh, and I was just wondering, do you think it is possible for businesses to be kind? It's funny, actually, I never really thought of us as a kind business. Um, yeah, I think it is really important. Like I said before, I think that, you know, you it doesn't have... the the profit part of things and environment or the way that you treat your workers doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, and the way that you treat your team is exactly the same thing. Like I personally believe in hiring people who are better than me. Um, and that ranges all the way from potential talent to people who've got deep experience in things that I've never done. And therefore from day one, these are people who I immediately respect and I immediately want to learn off. And giving those people the right framework and the right freedom is really important to me. And I think that is key when you're working the team, because without that, you're not going to get, you're not going to really get the best out of that talent, which you'd hired. And could you tell us um, some just facts, but how, how many people are on your team now and how long your business has been running for? So we have, been running for a few years before we pivoted the company but we um in its latest incarnation we actually launched the business uh beginning of last year so beginning of 2019 
and we are now uh, a team of eight which for us is amazing because for years and years it used to just be a team of two you mentioned that when becoming a b corps you one of the things you had to demonstrate was how you treat your workers can you tell us a bit more about what was involved and what that meant in practice it's not just the people who work in our team but it's also the suppliers that we work with so make sure that we're not using child labor you know make sure that all of our the, the suppliers that we work 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 with are using good business practice but alongside the way that we treat our team it's it's working out who how much of an ownership have people got so for example um we want to make sure that everyone feels ownership in the company so therefore has a little piece of the company and it's something that we're putting in practice um and making sure that there is a shared common sense so that there is a strong it's, it's quite boring but like sort of strong employee ethos um in employee layout making sure that that everyone has skin in the game essentially um what about kind of at so you know that's obviously i would imagine that a lot of that kind of happens at the um direct report level um but what kind of happens at the um sort of managerial and leadership level obviously i appreciate that you are are a small um are a small team um but would you say that you have um what's your well what's your leadership style today um i think my leadership style it's probably pretty much like it is with my kids but a bit less bossy <laughs> it's it's that kind of thing with a, with your child you have to respect that they're people so therefore and i remember my mum always telling me this like always respect that they are people respect their opinions respect when they come and tell you things so therefore it's allowing these people to come to you to feel like they can trust you and they can talk to you about anything but allowing them to go out off and have freedom to explore have freedom to grow and freedom to make mistakes but that you're there always as a buffer zone for them to come back and talk to you and discuss but essentially that same wish that you have for children that they're going to be better than you are that they're going to grow up into bigger and greater things and i think that's the most you can want for your team because quite a lot of the time you are only as good as your team is so so ensuring that you're giving people that creative freedom but that safety net around them is really important it's interesting that you um use the parent comparison because when we've talked about management in the past we've said how it is like a parent child dynamic and i think there's a couple of key differences there one is that um there's a sort of caregiver or your role is to look after that person and also that it's a more compassionate relationship. Well, I would hope so for most most parents and children. Um, and it's very different from a more transactional, hierarchical, maybe more traditionally patriarchal work relationship. And I think that certainly on this podcast, we believe that more that more compassionate style of leadership and management is going to be more valuable. And the other thing you said that I wanted to pull out was around freedom to make mistakes because we did a really great episode about autonomy and how important that is for employees um, with the School of Life a few weeks ago. And um, on that, one of the things that was established that one of the most important things to have more autonomous employees is to have a culture where mistakes 
are allowed to be made, which again is not traditional in the traditional work structure. Um, so it sounds like you're building a business that's a that's more managerial style wise in line with hopefully the more modern ways of working. Um, and so, yeah, so first of all, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'll take that. Um, but yeah, when you, but I'll, I'll turn that into a question. Um, when you, <laughs> um, when you started out, obviously you were very passionate about the product and what you wanted to achieve, but were you also thinking about what type of business you wanted to create and how you wanted that to run and what values you wanted you and your team to share? Yeah, no, it was, I'd love to say, yes, I did have a plan about how the business was going to come out and how my leadership was going to come out. But the honest answer is no. And I think it goes back again to that, that thing around, uh, children and the way that you are with your children, it very much naturally came out from there. And, and around the values, I think it's, I'm a very stubborn person, so I'm not going to really compromise on my values if, if I feel that that's going to happen. So my values very much have come through, you know, the way that I want to be treated is the way that I want to treat other people. The way that I believe our business should go, that's always going to come out in in the business plan, it was never a sat down and thought about it just happened. And I was very, very fortunate in the fact that I have a co-founder who bizarrely shares the same value system as me. And, and as soon as that B Corp thing came into being for us, it made every single decision very easy because every single decision was, is this doing good? And if it's not doing good, get rid of it. So therefore to make that into an example, packaging, we could have gone for the cheapest packaging out there, which would have been great for our bottom line. But when we saw that it was either virgin material or it was plastic, we were like, no, we'll much rather pay more and get better material because we know that that's doing good. So it does make every single decision easy. doesn't always make it the best financial decision, but it does make every single decision easy. When you went into the business and when you were starting out, what was your background in terms of um, leadership and management experience and what was your kind of what, what were you bringing into into dame from past experience and how much kind of leadership had you done beforehand so, so I'd done pretty minimal leadership skills and and everything everything that I've done I've absorbed but at the same time I'm a youngest child and if anyone is us a youngest child you'll know that you're good sponges you sit there and look at everything that's going on around you because everyone's bigger and you think they know more so therefore I'd always going along sort of listened put my ear out heard absorbed and so therefore it, it meant that as our company has grown and it's grown at the beginning quite slowly now quite fast it's meant that we've been able to build those building blocks on ourselves and, and learn those kind of leadership skills. And also the beauty about your own company is you get to form it in the way that you want and you get to see the value of pulling other people into the decision-making process with you. Um, because I think also, you know, what's, uh, what has been your experience of being led in the past? What have you kind of brought in from your maybe good and bad experiences of other bosses and managers it's people who listen to you and it's people who 
make you think that you can come in and talk to them about anything. And I don't think I've had that actually very much before. I've had that from people in a more personal capacity where I felt that I can go and ask them questions and I can go and challenge things. Definitely at previous roles that I've had, the negatives would very much be people who didn't really care about your career progression. So as a junior, you know, straight sort of out of university, you're very much put in a junior role and quite often traditionally left to sit there. And I remember being quite amazed by, by the reaction when these people left, when the juniors left, because all these people were so surprised that they left and went to other jobs. When it, when for me, it was quite obvious, you know, you're not thinking about these people. You're not thinking about their career progression. You're not valuing them in any way. So that was kind of, a big, a sort of big obvious one for me. And then the other thing, which I remember the kind of leadership style of previous jobs, which I've had is clock watching, which is a big thing, which I can't stand being made to sit in an office until someone else leaves just to sit there. And we used to have this loads at my previous job where you would literally just sit there for hours until that person went home and you weren't doing anything, but you had to stay there. And I'm, a massive believer in you can get your job done and go. You don't need to wait. It's, I much prefer to give people that kind of flexible time to do it. I think clock watching it, you know, making sure, you know, you've always got that friend who sends that last email at like 11 o'clock at night just to show that they were still working at 11. That's just so, so unnecessary. So that style of leadership, I definitely wanted to make sure that we didn't do it, Dame. How do you um, actually implement a culture in which you can show your employees that they don't have to be clock watching? Because when I sort of think about, um, when I think about when I was a junior employee, I worked in places where there, there was that atmosphere of clock watching and there was that um, clock watching um, and there was that expectation that you would have to sit in your seat until it was time to go home. Um, but at the same time, if I think back to it, um, and I think about it, honestly, I think part of that was also the fact that I was, it wasn't helped by the fact that I was young and scared and at the beginning of my career. Um, so how do you, how do you, um, create an environment in which it really is okay for people to leave when their work is done? I think it's a big trust thing. And I think at the beginning of a relationship, when you come in to work for someone else, it is the start of a relationship. And so therefore that trust isn't there yet. And there needs to be, you know, a good few months under your belt or weeks or whatever it is, where you get to know each other, you get to trust each other. And you realize that actually that person is quite dedicated. They are quite diligent. They are doing their work. So therefore, if they do leave, you know that the work's been done straight off the bat. It's really difficult to know that. But once that's done, it's, it's leading by example as well and showing that you will stay late if work needs to be done, but you will leave on time or even leave early if you've got everything you need to do done. And, and that can happen through regular checkups, regular check-ins, talking to people and making sure that everyone's workload is being done. And I found it was a really helpful way of doing that is having a shared conversation where you're checking in how everyone's workload is the reason why I say this is because one of the old jobs I used to do, we were lots of assistants. And if someone was manically under stress and working, but the other ones weren't, the ones who weren't working would share the load and take that work. So therefore, if you're in a team, making sure that everyone is saying what their workload is like, and if someone else has got too much, 
making sure that that can be spread across other people who can help. And then you're allowing people to, to have an understanding of what everyone else's workloads are. So they feel that, okay, I can leave early or actually, no, I can't, I've have finished my work, but that person's still really working and, and has been working late for the last week. I can actually help them out. So I think again, it's that openness that trust, it's, it's the same kind of relationship that you would have with people in your personal life, but it's just bringing that into the, into the office. You've talked about people staying and leaving. And obviously now a lot of us are just staying. (laughs) Um, How have, how has Dame found navigating the remote work situation? And have you had to, pull more on compassion or that that trust that you talked about with employees how's all that going for you so ours has been really interesting because we were a team of four up until about two weeks three weeks before this happened so we've suddenly got four new people who've joined the team and have straight away everyone's dispersed so we're still doing that getting to know stage via zoom and hangouts and all these other rubbish things and there are two sides of it. First of all, obviously, is the work side. So it's making sure that we're all still up to date. And it's really difficult because when you're not in that office environment where you're all together, there are certain pieces of information which are missed between essentially departments, if you want to call them that. And so making sure that that communication dial is turned up really, really high. So everyone is hearing about all the news and is chatting. So increasing the amount of meetings or check-ins so that people really are knowing what's happening and obviously having sort of share boards like Trello and stuff like that helps with that. But then the second side is obviously the personal side. So getting to know each other, making sure that everyone's fine. We make sure that every time when we have our big meetings, we have, you know, a few minutes where we check in with everyone, see how, if they're okay, do that classic, you know, what did you watch on Netflix? What did you eat for supper last night? And then once a week, we've been doing bingo, pub quizzes, stuff like that, just to make sure that it's not just about work. It's not just about um, about the job and, and really kind of getting to know each other and also checking in that everyone's okay because, you know, everyone's been affected by this and checking that everyone's living circumstances are okay, that their family's okay, that their health is okay. You know, we've had about... I'd say, yeah, about half of us have undiagnosed, probably had the virus. And some of us still are suffering from it. So making sure that they're okay, that everything's all right. But it is difficult, really, really difficult. But the one, I guess, good thing is the fact that everyone in the country is having to deal with it. So everyone's in the same boat. What sorts of things have you learned during this period or what are the, what are some of the practices or things that you've been doing whilst in this kind of lockdown remote working um, situation that you would actually like to take forward and sort of take some of the lessons that you've learned and actually kind of apply them once we, once we enter whatever the new world order is going to look like. Um, so, and, and not just so much, not just necessarily, oh yes, actually re- working from home has been great, but kind of what are some of the other kind of deeper lessons that maybe you've learned that you want to carry forward? I think, I think there are probably four of them. And I think the first one is flexibility. Is this flexible working has always been quite a tricky one. And I think it's, 
tricky on so many different levels. And I can speak about it from my experience that flexible working with a very small business, I, when, you know, it was a team of two of us, that was easy. We could be flexible because it was just two of us and we knew each other. But then as soon as we got a couple more people on that flexible working suddenly becomes a bit harder because there is an importance to you all for sitting in a team together, getting to know each other. And at the same time, you want to make sure that it's still flexible. So now that has all been fast forwarded so much that that flexible working, I think is now going to become a lot less scary and a lot more accepted and adopted. So I think that's amazing. I think communication is going to be so much better. You know, before you would just come in, you would speak about work stuff. Whereas now we're really realizing the importance of communicating, not just very clearly about work stuff. So making sure that you do know who's signing off on what you do know what's happening here, but communicating with each other on a very personal level, you know, how are you, how's your family? And, and I think, you know, this whole experience has been a great big equalizer. So before you would come in and God, I remember this when I was like a junior, I'd see my boss and I think, Oh, I wonder where she lives. She just looks so big and scary. But now you're seeing into people's homes, you know, my kids have literally been on pretty much every single zoom call I've had. You're seeing into people's homes, you're seeing into their bedrooms. It's such an equalizer. It's such, it's amazing. And then the fourth point is empathy, because now that you are seeing into people's homes, you're seeing that different side of them, which you didn't know before. And you're seeing them as more of a rounded person. And therefore it's, it's like anything. And I think, <laughs> to use a weird, a weird comparison, you know, in sort of hostage negotiations, they always say, get to know your kidnapper, get to get them to know you, get them to empathize with you as a human. As soon as that happens, then people immediately can understand the entirety of someone. And I think that empathy towards your team and the workplace, and not just that, I'm finding this empathy towards people that I've never even met before, that I just know on a work level. I know through emails and through phone calls. I'm now understanding about their kids and how difficult it is for them to homeschool and how, you know, this one person I was speaking to who's been doing work for us for a while, he is a key worker and his kids are so annoyed about it because it means they have to go to, a, to school, whereas all the other kids are staying at home. And, you know, you suddenly get to see a different side of people, which is, is really lovely. And I think that that is going to carry on because now all those working relationships they're colored by that. So going forward, I will always know these details about those people. And I think that's going to be an incredible thing that hopefully will continue as we, we move past this. That's yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, I'm so glad to hear you saying that. I think empathy is empathy is something that we've been talking about on this podcast pretty much since day one of it. And it's just really great to hear it now finally kind of, well, to hear it actually coming from companies and to hear it coming from, business leaders is really really brilliant um we're just going to take a short break and then we will be back with celia for some more really great insights into what it's like to build a kind business this episode is sponsored by dame the brand on a mission to make our periods plastic free Dame launched the world's first reusable tampon applicator to save our oceans from the 1.3 billion tampon applicators thrown away every year in the UK alone. 
Dame's reusable applicator, the D, gives women a more sustainable choice. All the comfort of an applicator, but without the waste. It's really exciting to see a product that's solving such a huge problem, both for women and the planet. The good people at Dame have been kind enough to give Is This Working listeners 30% off an organic tampon subscription. Just use the code ITW30 at Dame's website, which is wearedame.co, for 30% off an organic tampon subscription. That's ITW30. What is one small step that a manager who is listening to this now can do to bring more compassion into their workplace? I think if we're talking about right now and the current crisis that everyone's in, I'd say it's just keep checking in. Just because you asked how someone was once, it doesn't mean the situation is the same all the time. As we all know from watching the news, it's changing so fast. And you've got to be flexible and lenient for those people. Like those people who've got kids and can't have the same concentration level as they had before, or those people who right now can't pay the rent or the mortgage because either their days have been reduced down or they've been furloughed, to those people who are worrying about loved ones in the hospital or loved ones who are going out to work for the NHS. It's just keep checking in, asking how they are, because everything is moving so quickly and quite easily, because we're not sitting in front of each other, these really, really big major things in these people's lives could be missed. And I think it's really important to make sure that you're always talking. Just in response to that, I was going to say as well that um, Anna's made this point on previous podcasts that so many people exist with mental health issues battling every day in the workplace and there isn't that space and invitation to air that and what hopefully now will come out of this, as you say, is more habit around checking in with people and asking how people are and also more empathy and understanding for the fact that there is a collective anxiety happening right now but there are some people who just live their lives like this every day and hopefully now we can build a world where there's a bit more space for that to happen and be allowed to happen um but what do you think the longer term impacts of all of this will be on leadership style and workplaces i'm hoping that this this kind of crack of the door that we've had into people's lives is going to continue and it's going to make those businesses where they don't value the employee as a person they just value them as a commodity that's doing work for them make that change because they've seen first of all quite how fragile the working situation is and second of all they've seen into this person's life and they've understood a little bit more about them and what things they have to navigate on a day-to-day basis that they might not previously been aware of. And I'm hoping that will kind of open people up to have much more of a collaborative working process. Cause I do wholeheartedly believe that you can get so much out of someone if you're engaged with them, if there is mutual respect, if you view it as a two way working relationship, not just someone dictating what needs to be done and that person doing it. Um, I've noticed a parallel with mine and Anna's um, 
business relationship where you talked about how your co-founder was a friend first. And I'm wondering to what extent a lot of what you talk about has actually trickled down from that original foundation because respect, empathy, seeing the human side, that, ha- that ha- happens when you know someone before you work with them, I'd argue. Do you think that's fair to say that, you know, that's you, your relationship with your co-founder has impacted your work culture? I'd say it definitely has, but funny enough, we weren't close, close friends before we did this, which is, which in some ways has been even better because we haven't had a historical relationship to bounce off. So therefore there is no, I mean, there is history there, but there's not massive amounts of history there that we have to contend with. And actually, I think it was the fact that we worked together by ourselves for a few years. It's where that relationship happened because essentially it's like a marriage and you have to have difficult conversations. You have to look after each other. You have to make sure that you're supporting each other. Otherwise the whole thing blows up. And I think it's born out of working just the two of us for quite a long time that we've created this value system, which we know that we can operate in and we want to extend it out to the rest of the team that works with us. Um, that's a lovely note to end on. Thank you so much, Celia, for joining us and telling us about all the work Dame is doing to improve the environment and our vaginas. And, <laughs> Most and importantly, also, the vaginas. And the vaginas and also our work cultures. And I think the more compassionate leadership we can have in this world and the less, similarly, the less we can waste plastic would be a great thing so thank you so much that oh was no it's a pleasure yeah well, I loved um, it I thought it was so, what I loved about it was it was very open and honest which I just loved as well so yeah it felt really real um, yeah thank oh, you so much bye bye, bye. <laughs>